my name is Dean, and welcome to Underdog Theology, a live YouTube show airing every Monday where we talk about theology, church, and culture. Now let's get into it. Hey, welcome back to Underdog Theology. Today we are talking about computers. We're talking, we're talking about the robots, the robots that are out for us, the AI that is trying to take over the world. And we're asking it some questions. You know, uh, I've seen a lot of people around the internet ask these AI things, all different kinds of things. Christians have been asking them, you know, is, is Jesus real? Is the Bible reliable? Uh, I don't really care what a robot has to say about that. No shade to anyone who's asking those questions of AI, but you know, eh. but I was interested, uh, to see what they thought about mega churches and mega church pastors. Because that's a lot of what we talk about here on this show. We, we ask for accountability for some of these folks. We, we look at some of the big dogs and what they're saying on these big platforms and what they're saying to thousands of people on their, on their YouTube, on their Twitter, on their Facebook. We're asking them tough questions and trying to go through the Bible and see you know, whether some of the things that they say is accurate or not. And uh, so I thought, let's talk to some of these robots and see what they think about megachurch pastors. And uh, to be honest, I was a little surprised. We're going to basically just look at two different answers that they gave me uh, for some questions. Uh, and, you know, I was a little shocked that they had that much insight. You know, because a lot of things like, you know, they could give you facts. They can give you facts about, you know, science and math and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to like religion and philosophy... I was like, there's no way. There's no way these robots know what they're talking about. And they kind of do. At least I thought they gave some pretty good answers. So we're going to look at those. We've got Al Moeller. We're going to talk a little bit about Al uh, putting out a class that I thought was interesting. He dropped a video this morning about a class that he's going to be doing. We'll take a look at the video. Ask, why is he doing this class? I think it's actually a pretty interesting conversation. We've got all the segments today, at least the ones that I've announced. <laughs> We've got a letter from the culture war. We're going to get a new one of those later on in the show. We're going to do the penalty box. Uh, got, got some things to talk about in the penalty box. You know, not so much funny, but uh, man, some of the things people say. Uh, and then we're going to take a little, a little quick jog through Fundyville and uh, watch a, an interesting video. <laughs> so I want to say hi to a couple of people who are here in the chat. Uh, Lael is here like she usually is, doing grand. I asked, how is everybody's Monday going? Can't complain. Working at home's the best, LOL. I know how that goes. Uh, Winston Pickett is here and says, I'm great. I just won $37 by successfully picking the over-under on how late you were going to start this podcast. Is that a thing? Guys, always go over. <laughs> it's 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 always over. I, I can't help it. I got kids home today. They're 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 uh, they don't have school today. So, and like you, you guys are lucky that I'm I'm able to even get a show going today. We'll see. We're gonna try to keep this short because they're upstairs. Puss in Boots, Last Wish. While it's a good movie, is only so long. And so they're, they're upstairs. I could hear their footprints. You'll probably hear uh, them banging around as well. Michael is here and says, hello, all. And uh, Joel says, I use ChatGBT for my job every day to help me get uh, things done quicker. This is the first time I'm genuinely nervous about AI. But the more I use it, uh, I realize it's like Google. It's good if you know how to articulate what you want. I found that out when I was asking some of these questions, uh, because, you know, I would ask, all right, is there a difference between mega church pastors and small church pastors? And it was like, well, you know, it depends on how you, you phrase things and everybody has different religious beliefs and, you know, all those kinds of things. I had to ask things a couple times to get some of the answers. But once I got those answers, I actually thought it was pretty good. Uh, so let's go over and let's, let's, Look at what the robots have to say. All right, we got uh, we got this. What are the dangers? This is what I asked because I'm so smart and I ask good questions. It took me forever. <laughs> okay, uh, what are the dangers of megachurch pastors as compared to smaller church pastors? So for me, 
you know, on this show, we talk a lot about megachurch pastors and I do believe personally, it's me. You might say, Dean, like that's just, you know, the news and all of that. I don't know. Uh, the bigger, the, the platform of the pastor, I think it's more likely, uh, for that pastor to mess up in some pretty severe ways. I think those things go hand in hand. That's my, that's been my experience. Uh, that is what my opinion is. And so I do think that there is inherent danger, uh, in, uh, the idea of a big platform and a bigger church and, uh, compared to like a smaller church with a smaller platform where the pastor is more known in his congregation by more people. And usually there's a little bit more accountability. So I asked, what are the dangers of megachurch pastors as compared to smaller church pastors? And here's what the robot had to say. I'm using chat GPT. I know no, like nothing, nothing. I know nothing about the differences between some of these AI things. I know some of them do pictures. Some of them do like dialogue and that's about it. Uh, so if you don't like chat GPT, man, uh, but here are some of the potential dangers of megachurch pastors as compared to smaller church pastors. One power dynamics, megachurch pastors often have a lot of influence and power, which can lead to abusive behavior or exploitation of congregants. Look at the robot. Oh my goodness. What is, the robot is coming out hot and saying, uh, so it's, it's this weird thing of influence and power that they just get. And that can lead to abusive behavior or exploitation of congregants. So let's break that up into two abusive behavior because of the power dynamics, because people look up to them. And part of that is just the, I think just the way it is because we look up to pastors, they are an authority. We see that in scripture pretty clearly that they are the authority. Uh, Hebrews says to honor those who have charge over you. So there is authority for qualified elders in a local church, but with that power, as Spider-Man would say, comes great responsibility, right? And a lot of times, uh, because of the power dynamics in mega churches, according to the robot, and I think it's right. Uh, they just don't have that responsibility, or at least, um, it, it is something that they can get around sometimes and it can lead to abusive behavior and exploitation of congregants. And that's something that people don't talk about all that much. The idea of how much, like I've known some, some people who, who have gone to some of these bigger churches and they're talking about how overworked they are. Like they just do everything. And a lot of people, when they think about volunteering, they think about, you know, it's smaller churches where people get burnt out. It's these smaller churches where, you know, someone has to be in charge of the nursery and, and someone misses. And so they're back in the nursery. Uh, I don't know from just personal experience, talking with some of these people who attend mega churches, like they have to serve all the time and they're, they're constantly doing things. And I do think that's part of the power dynamics is like there's someone who is, you know, high up and maybe, maybe they're not even, uh, like the senior pastor, the preaching pastor, lead pastor, whatever title you want to throw in there, but they have like the ear of the preaching pastor and they ask you, Hey, can you be on like the parking lot team? And you're just stuck outside for like four hours every Sunday. Like that happens. Uh, so I think that's completely accurate. And then emotionally and, and then it could even get into other things and like the government having to get involved. Uh, but I do think that's true. It can lead to abusive behavior or exploitation of congregants Two, financial corruption. Large churches often have significant financial resources, which can attract unscrupulous leaders who use their position for personal gain. So <laughs> I, I also think that they're right on with this one because these smaller churches, um, while you can hear of some like these financial issues of, you know, like I've, I've seen churches, uh, I'll put it that way. I've seen churches where people are just like, Hey, where'd that $15,000 go? That was in savings. And everyone's just kind of like, I don't know. Do you know, you know, I don't, what, what happened to that $15,000? It's just, it's just gone. And you're just wondering, like, what what happened here? 
so that does happen in smaller churches, but because you know there's so much more and uh, more resources, how they put it here, uh, within some of these mega churches, I think that there is a draw from those who are motivated by financial stuff, by greed sometimes, uh, and maybe it isn't even right off the bat, but it can turn into that over time uh, that they they go like, hey. You know, like I should be here. I should be at this mega church because they have the money, they have the resources, and maybe down the line they're tempted uh, to use those resources in a way that isn't fitting for an elder or really anyone in the church. Uh, so that can that can happen. Number three, lack of accountability. Mega church pastors may not have the same level of accountability as smaller church pastors, which can result in unchecked behavior or beliefs man like the robot knows the robot understands the robot is mr unlimited like i, I I'm, <laughs> I'm i'm actually surprised i didn't think that the robot would be this good um but it's true there is a lack of accountability for some of these megachurch pastors because they aren't known in their congregation because it's just the leadership team that knows them and this is the problem, I think, with with these really, really big churches. I'm not talking about a church that's like, I mean, like mega church. So we're talking about above 2,000, I think, is like the cutoff number for that. So above 2,000, there's no way that people in the congregation can know you that well. And there's no way that a pastor can disciple their congregation that well. Maybe a few people. And maybe having like a few meetings every once in a while, but just because of the amount of people, the amount of responsibilities, most likely they're not going to be able to have that one-on-one -on -one relationship. So two things with that. One, they're not able to do what uh, Peter says uh, to shepherd the flock among you. They're not able to fully accomplish that. But also those people aren't able to know them all that well. And so usually what it looks like is if you have like a mega church, above 2000 and you have this lead pastor or uh, preaching pastors you know the higher up team most likely they have like some kind of discipleship structure a little bit of accountability because accountability is inherent within discipleship um, usually that's within the leadership team or the elders the problem with that though is that who's in charge like a lot of times like these, these megachurch pastors essentially act as CEOs. It's why they use the language of CEOs, because that's the business world, and that's kind of the world that they live in. And so a lot of these times, you have people who are on staff that are actually like in like having to answer to the lead pastor. Like, and not to the congregation, and not a lot is known. A lot of times with these megachurches, there's not a lot of information that comes from uh, the leadership team down to the congregation, the, the, uh, in an ideal world there would be, but a lot of times, you know, that the details of how things are going, the inner workings of personal conflict, that's just within the leadership team. So it's a little hard for someone to like hold their boss accountable. You at your workplace, you know, it doesn't have to be a ministry world, just at your work, wherever you work, like, or, you know, if you're a stay at home, parent or something like that when you worked you had a boss try holding your boss accountable how does that go over y your boss does something and and you're responsible like you know that there's something going on there you try to hold that boss accountable how well is that going to go for you probably not so great unless you have an hr department unless you can like go over your boss's head and talk to corporate you know, talk to some like some higher up. Most likely you, you can't do that. Uh, so it's not going to go over all that great for you. And in the ministry world, how do they go over that person's head? There's no one there. There's no one there. I mean, like philosophically, theologically, it's Jesus who's there. Um, but as far as someone you can go to and try to hold this senior leader uh, accountable, there's no one to go to other than the church. And that's why you see sometimes uh, the, these people write letters to their church once they leave saying, hey, this is what happened. Uh, it's one of the ways to try to get that accountability. But oftentimes it isn't heard. 
so I think that the robot gets it right. There is a lack of accountability with a lot of these mega churches. And it, and like again, like look at the look at the bottom here. Uh, there, the, like this happens in smaller churches too. I'm just saying more often it happens in these mega churches. That's what I'm saying. Number four, uh, shallow teaching. Wow, <laughs> robot. I did not expect you to go there. Like I was expecting, like once I finally got it to like understand what I was trying to ask, uh, I, I thought they were just going to be like, well, there's more people. And so there's more opportunity. Shallow teachings in order to attract and retain large crowds. Some megachurch pastors may focus on entertaining uh, more on entertaining their audience rather than delivering meaningful thought provoking teachings. Whoa, <laughs> like <laughs> the robot. And they don't think I know a buttload of crap about the gospel, but I do. Robot knows some stuff. Uh, yeah. So shallow teachings. Like, I mean, like we, we talk about some of the shallow teachings from some of these mega pastors quite often on the show. Uh, but I just was surprised to see the robot taking that up and being like, yeah, you know, like there's a danger in that. There's a danger in shallow teaching. Because the people aren't getting fed properly. Then they're, you know, like just anything. Like if you didn't eat, you'd be pretty weak. And if you don't get fed spiritually, you're going to be spiritually weak. And the, the robot knows that. It's so surprising. Number five, lost sense of community. Megachurches can be impersonal and lack a sense of close-knit community, which is often found in smaller churches. So the robot gets it. <laughs> like artificial intelligence gets the dangers of the ideas of mega churches. Now there are advantages. There are advantages like uh, the elders can usually like actually provide for their families and not struggle financially. That's, that's a benefit. Uh, they could also support missionaries. They can, they can do endeavors a lot more because like the robot says there are more significant financial resources. So there are some benefits of mega churches. Also shared vision, shared mission. And if that mission is like really like moving, then, uh, you know, they could reach people maybe even more efficiently than a smaller church. But reaching people and discipling them are very different. And the robot gets that. Uh, lost sense of community. Mega churches can be impersonal and lack a sense of of close-knit community, which is often found in smaller churches. So I just thought that was so interesting. That being said, these dangers are not unique to megachurch pastors and can also be present in smaller churches. It's important for congregants to carefully evaluate the leadership and teaching of any church, regardless of its size. What do you guys think about that? What do you think about this, this robot being able to understand some stuff? It's interesting. Uh, let's see. Uh, Daryl is here. The MC pastor of today is compared to the televangelists of yesterday. They tend to reach celebrity status. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, David's here. Uh, they can reach more people, but the individual means much less to a mega church. The pastors are much less likely to know congregants outside of leadership. I completely agree. Let's look at, uh, one more. I, I had a little, I had another conversation with, uh, with Mr. Robot and, uh, this is what Mr. Robot had to say. So I just asked because we have so many of these mega church pastors who, you know, they get in trouble, they get in trouble in some way. They disqualify themselves in some way, at least for a period, according to some people. Um, but all right, that happens, but why are they allowed to just like keep on ministering. And again, it took me a while to kind of get, get at this and uh, get an answer, but this is the answer that the robot gave. Oh, whoops. Um, yeah. Uh, so fallen mega church pastors can continue to minister. So you can see my, my question here, why do fallen mega church pastors keep being allowed to minister? So the answer fallen mega church pastors can continue to minister for several reasons, including lack of, of consequences. There may be a lack of consequences or accountability measures in place to prevent a fallen pastor from continuing to minister. How interesting. All right. Lack of consequences. The robot gets that. Support from congregants. Some congregants may continue to support a fallen pastor despite their actions and may advocate 
for their return to the pulpit. Oh, man. Um, I will, I will say it this way because I'm always having to be careful about what I say on the interwebs because people watch and they don't comment, but I know that they watch, uh, my first pastorate, I was there because the senior pastor who was there before I got there, uh, went to prison for what he did. When there was stuff that was still going on, there were congregants that wanted that pastor to come back and be restored. That's true. There, there were people in that church, even though that pastor went to prison for what he did, there were people in that church that did want him to come back and be restored and someday be their pastor again. What's wrong with you people? So it happens. Uh, there is support from congregants sometimes, and it's, and like they're not terrible people they just are like totally swindled by this person or they feel indebted because of some personal connection to that pastor it happens support from congregants number 3 limited options a fallen pastor may have limited career options outside of ministry may continue to minister despite past scandals um, so I don't know what the robot means. If it's like, this is why the pastor does it, or this is why people allow it. I was really trying to focus on like, why does this person get to keep going? So in other words, what others are doing about it. Um, but I'm not sure what the robot means here. Cause it could be like, this is the motivation for the pastor is he has nothing else to do. And that's true. Like there's a reason, uh, why Mark Driscoll went back into ministry, uh, because he doesn't have a lot of other things he could do. Uh, at least to make that kind of money, to have that kind of success. Uh, I think that's true of a lot of fallen megachurch pastors and small church pastors too. You know, they go to school and they get uh, a bachelor's in Bible. Maybe they go to seminary and get a master's in theology, a master's of divinity. No one cares. I can tell you that for sure. I have a BA, MA, MDiv. Nobody cares <laughs> except for churches, except for, uh, those people who would, who would be in charge of hiring someone, the pulpit search committee. Those are the people that care about those degrees. No one in the real world cares about those degrees. It doesn't mean anything to them. They want to know, uh, what was your work experience like? Oh, you only preached on Sundays and worked with people throughout the week. Well, maybe you could sell cars. You know, like that, that's, that's what you're qualified to do. So like that, that happens. Uh, and so I could see why a pastor who had some, you know, failure in their life would try, uh, to get back into ministry. And I could see why some people would look at them and feel bad because they have no other way to support their family. And so they want them to be able to do that. They don't want the wife and children to suffer. So they let them back into some ministry capacity. Next thing you know, they're in charge of an entire church. <sighs> I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Uh, number four, inadequate background checks. Churches may not thoroughly vet pastors before hiring them, leading to continuation of ministry by individuals with a history of unethical or harmful behavior. So uh, I think the robot is actually wrong on that one. Uh, I don't think that's really something for megachurches. Megachurches are pretty good about doing background checks. Uh, they do it a lot more often for their volunteers than smaller churches. There's a reason why uh, some predators really prey on smaller churches, because they're not doing what they need to do and uh, making sure that everyone is protected, specifically younger children. Uh, so background checks really do matter. Uh, they do make a difference. Um, but megachurches usually do it. Uh, but maybe, maybe there's something that's not in uh, the, like, what you would find legally. There's just stories about certain people, and they're not talked about, and you need. Like, if you're trying to hire a pastor, if your church is looking for a pastor, you need to talk to those former churches, ask them some stories, um, you know, figure out who this guy is and whether he's qualified or not. Uh, so I'm not sure if the robot has that one, right? Number five, denial or minimalization of wrongdoing. The fallen pastor may deny 
or minimize their actions, making it easy for them to continue in ministry. It was just a mistake. It was, you know, like I, I, I just was stressed and I made a mistake in the moment and I would never do it again. Yeah, I sent a bunch of texts. Okay, I sent a bunch of texts over months of period of time, but it wasn't that big a deal. You know, like they, they try to minimize all these things. And it's, no, that's an affair, bud. Like that's adultery. That's actually serial adultery. Oh, you have some like real problems here. <laughs> like it's no, you've been stealing from the church for a long time. You know, like that, that kind of stuff. Uh, that, that it's not a mistake. It's not just, oh, I did something wrong. You sinned grievously against God in the church and maybe even your family. Um, and that needs to be taken care of, but the robot gets it. Uh, these are not exhaustive reasons, and there could be other factors as well. It's important for churches to have strong policies and procedures in place to prevent the continuation of ministry by individuals who have engaged in harmful or unethical behaviors. So I think we can applaud the robot. The robot does a pretty good job on understanding where some of the dangers of megachurches are. Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, let's hop back into the chat, see what you guys are saying about that. Uh, Bob is here and says, uh, I always comment because I think the internet creepers are weird. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Uh, Lael says, idolatry of pastors or any man will always cloud our judgment. Agreed. Uh, and Winston Pickett, I think, quoting that, uh, because there's not much else he could do in order to make that kind of money. Just think of what an indictment that statement is on the state of the church today. I mean, like, yes and no. Um, you know, like, yeah, the pastor should be able to do other things, but sometimes they're not allowed to do those things. They can't get their foot in the door because they don't have the education in that field, uh, or people look at their education as not being you know, full on education because it was a Christian school and some companies will look at that and be like, that sounds weird. Uh, so like there's, there's more to it, but I, I get what you're saying. Um, let's take a look at our buddy, good friend of the show. Not really. Uh, but Al Mohler, uh, put out a video today that I found very interesting. So Al Mohler, president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, he ran for SBC president last year, did not win, um, and he has been labeled all kinds of things lately. Uh, he's been labeled a betrayal, a uh, betrayer of the cause uh, with uh, the culture war. We'll, we'll take a look at that letter in just a little bit. We'll premiere. We'll premiere the letter in just a little bit. Um, but... He's been thrown like he's been the punching bag for a little bit from uh, evangelical conservatives like the hyper conservatives because he's not conservative enough, which I find to be funny because he's plenty conservative. Um, but let's let's take a look at this announcement he made today. Uh, and let me let me just say before I do, they don't usually make announcements like this for every course academic course I'm going to be teaching this coming term, and it is going to be entitled American Evangelicalism, the Controversies of Conservative Christianity in the Modern Age. It's going to be a class on campus and online, and we're looking forward to both, and I'm looking forward to teaching in both of those settings. It's a class that's really going to focus on the meaning, the definition, the identity mm -hmm. of evangelical Christians in the United States and the movement okay. known as evangelical Christianity. How did it come about? Well, it came about in the midst of a controversy and one worth having. And ever since then, well, evangelicalism has been defined by theological arguments and by theological controversies, the ordination of women, the authority of scripture, the relationship between the church and the state, the identity of God, the doctrine of the Trinity, all of these have been controversies in the evangelical movement and from all of them, kind we of. can learn a great deal. This is a class that's going to combine church history and theology, apologetics, and the understanding of the relationship between Christianity and culture. I think it's going to be fascinating. We're going to be looking at some of the most important figures in evangelical history, and we're going to see mm -hmm. the unfolding of evangelical identity in the midst of so many controversies, but those controversies just point to our responsibility to define biblical Christianity in the modern age. 
Registration's sure. now open, and it registration is. is open to undergraduate and graduate students at Boys Anyone. College and Southern Seminary. I hope you'll be numbered among them. The class begins April the 11th. If you're in Louisville, I'd like to see you in the classroom for this important topic. I also look forward to meeting online students. It's going to be fun. It's going to be informative. Learn more and enroll Sounds at spts.edu slash course. That is spts.edu slash course. It's going to be important. I look forward to seeing you there. Um, okay, so... <laughs> Like, if you see me laughing throughout this, it's because, like, this is for him. <laughs> like, he's talking about, oh, it's going to be an interesting class for everyone. And I'm sure that it probably is, okay? Um, but if you don't think this is, like, a self-defense for himself with some of, like, the hyper-conservatives who are, like, calling him a liberal all the time because he didn't talk about that specific topic uh, on the briefing, I do think that he's missed some some pretty important topics on the briefing. Um, but, uh, I, I think this class is really focused on, Hey guys, I am conservative and I'm going to show you <laughs> by looking at how conservatives have become a thing over, you know, over the last hundred years, this, this look into evangelicalism and where it came from and some of the issues facing it today and the controversies, this is him basically being like guys don't stop shooting at me <laughs> like i'm i am one of the conservatives don't don't hey stop being so mean to me okay we're gonna have a class i'll say everything you want to hear <laughs> and you know, like just because i don't put it on the briefing <laughs> like don't get mad at me this i just uh, i saw this this morning and i just like couldn't stop laughing <laughs> because like the fact that they have a video where he's announcing that He's going to teach something, which I guess like the president of a seminary doesn't always teach a class, but oftentimes they do. Um, but, you know, that's that's one thing. But then to be like, and it's it's online. Anyone, anyone could sign up, go to this link, sign up for the class. Uh, this isn't just like, hey, you know, students, you know, maybe you want to look at this class. This is, hey, Internet, uh, you want to hear what I actually have to say about these things and maybe stop trying to come at me all the time. I have a course, <laughs> eight week course where I'm going to tell you all the things that you want to hear. So you could leave me alone. <laughs> so uh, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, let's, let's, let's do something, you know, talking about some of these, these controversies, you know, some of the controversies and evangelicalism, a lot of them focus on the culture, on the culture. And, uh, you know, there are some brave men and women who are fighting in the culture war and they're sacrificing so much and they're doing so, so much righteous actions, so many righteous actions, that's, that's English, so many righteous actions for the cause. And today we're going to look at a letter from one of those brave soldiers in the culture war. My dearest Abigail, the culture war rages on, and some days I feel as though it will never end. It has been a sorrowful season since my last letter. Our most trusted ally, James Lindsay, has betrayed our righteous cause and maliciously attacked a brother in arms. I reckon you must be as shocked as I am. How could we have known this atheist would not observe our most holy values? Perhaps one day he will return to our camp. Oh, and maybe even believe the gospel, I guess. In other news, the Super Bowl is upon us, and our men are already loading their tweets, which they will launch immediately upon the referee's whistle ending the second quarter. The songstress Rihanna will be performing her wretched melodies this year, so make sure to turn the channel for Lil Jessup, lest he hear the siren symphony and be lured into the world's wickedness of FM radio. Oh, but do make sure to record the commercials. You know how those Budweiser fellows make me giggle. Speaking of Rihanna, I was informed this week that Satan has decided to make her music the soundtrack of hell itself. It makes perfect sense, although I've only heard her umbrella song at Taco Bell following morning meeting that one Sunday. You recall that time, don't you? I went to the manager and refused to pay due to the mischievous melody, and that's why we're no longer permitted to frequent that establishment. Oh, how I miss those chalupas. But not as much as I miss you, Abigail. I hope to see you soon, 
Be mindful of little Jessup as he is the man of the house at present. I would prefer not to call the pastor again. Cordially, Christian. Fundy. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that letter, that letter from the culture war. Uh, it's going to be a thing probably every two to three weeks, a couple times a month. It's not going to be every week because it takes more editing than I care to do. <laughs> so, um, but I hope you enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> uh, let's, let's look at uh, Fundy Town. Uh, just taking a little quick Quick peek into into Fundy Town, seeing so what's going on, what's going on here in in Fundy Town. Oh, nothing much, you know, just everything's pretty normal. It seems as you know, just normal stuff. Oh, is the audio going? Okay, Justin Peters. Oh, Nelly. <laughs> Yep, nothing, nothing weird going on in Fundy Town. Penalty, I show you a real penalty. Get out of my face, man. Oh, all right, I have a little bit of fun. Uh, David's here and says, uh, <laughs> "Great parody, <laughs> a bit sarcastic." Yeah, yeah, that's the show, man. <laughs> uh, that's that's my humor, at least. Uh, maybe you like it, maybe not, but. Uh, let's let's take some things from the penalty box. Some some comments. I get a lot of comments uh, because you know I, I get it. I talk about controversial stuff. You know I talk about some controversy, and so I get some comments that are a bit extreme. Um, bit extreme on one side, bit extreme on another side, and uh, sometimes I ignore those things, and sometimes I do feel like I need to talk about them. Sometimes I just poke fun at them. Uh, sometimes they're serious. So uh, I got three comments today that ended up in the penalty box. Uh, so let's take a look. Uh, so this is T West who commented on the truth about Dale Partridge, that video that I did. Uh, he, he commented like, basically I was talking about the, the tweet that Dale Partridge, um, essentially said that no Christian can commit suicide. And if you do commit suicide, you're not a Christian. And I think it's a very dangerous thought. Uh, T West, uh, agrees with Partridge. It's not that suicide loses one's salvation. What suicide shows, and I guess I probably shouldn't say that. I'll say self-deletion moving forward, but YouTube's probably already like, you can't say certain things, uh, shows is proof that you never really fully submitted yourself to Christ. Therefore you have proven yourself to not be saved. You shall know them by their fruits po uh, points to the fact that the Holy Spirit has borne evidence of your salvation through the fruit he bears within a person. Uh, Self-deletion is one of the most selfish things a person can do and does not glorify or honor God whatsoever. If you are struggling with thoughts of self-deletion, repent and ask the Lord to remove those desires and replace them with desires that keep in step with his spirit. This is super dangerous, y'all. Uh, one, again, if you're going to say that any sin, like any sin that's done at the end of someone's life, um, means like makes a difference in their eternal destination, uh, then you are maintaining your salvation. You have a works-based salvation. I believe that, that that's the case. Um, and so here he's saying, oh, it just proves it. Why? Why would that be what proves it? All right, let's say that there is a Christian um, who, you know, seemingly believes the gospel, lives a good life, um, but they, they die doing something that is a sin. Like, are they on their way to hell? What is the difference for this particular sin? Is it a sin? Yes, it is. But it's a sin like any other sin. We don't see anything in scripture that says, oh, this specific one, if you do this, then it's over. Uh, this is not uh, the unforgivable sin that's unbelief. This is not that. Uh, and the idea here, if you're struggling, repent and ask the Lord to take that from you. Yes. And seek help. <laughs> like, I don't know why it's so hard for some of these people to understand 
that there can be uh, both like things that we go through that cause us to question things and and uh, lead us into a very dark place, but also usually with this idea of self-deletion. Um, usually there's some mental illness attached to that in some form. Uh, and I don't know why people have such a hard time understanding that Christians can be mentally ill. Uh, we are sinners. Every part of us has been affected by sin. We can get sick. Our bodies can get sick. Our mind is part of our bodies. I don't understand why that's such a difficult concept uh, for some people to understand. Uh, but also, like, there's no love or compassion in anything with this. There's no, there's no uh, help in any of it. Just, you know, put a Bible sticker on it and you're all healed up. That's not the way our minds work. That's not the way our bodies work. Uh, that's not the way our emotions work. Like, yes, we need to repent of things. We need to uh, pray and, and talk to God about these things. But also, maybe talk to people. Maybe talk to some specialists. <laughs> maybe talk to a counselor. And see, you know, why am I having these thoughts and go through that? Um, I don't like, I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty indicative of what kind of person would say something like this when they just don't even ask the, basically bury it deep, just pray and bury it deep down and don't think about it ever again and you'll be fine. And, uh, like when I get comments like this, it just frustrates me so much that, feel the need to talk about it because it's such a serious thing. And there are many people who, who struggle with those thoughts who do wonder, you know, am I actually a Christian? Why, why do I still have these thoughts? I, I thought I'm not supposed to. Everyone at church tells me that, uh, you know, I'm like the, that if you're a Christian, you won't have these thoughts in my genuine and it leads to unnecessary doubt. So goes into the penalty box, a little bit of a serious one there. Two minutes for slashing and two minutes for roughing. This this one is just a weird comment. I'm just going to be real honest with you. I saw it. I showed it to my wife and we were both like, wait, what? <laughs> so uh, I've got a short that gets so much hate from the Doug Wilson fans. Um, uh, because basically, like, you know, it's a short. It's a one minute clip. And it's out of context, like all of my shorts. Because it's it's a one minute, you know. How much can you say in a minute and give context to things, right? Like, not much. Uh, so, um, you know, like, to be fair, it is out of context. So some people get mad about it. Uh, but it's basically talking about Doug Wilson's view on complementarianism, how it isn't complementarianism, that it is patriarchy. And you can kind of see it sometimes with some of the comments that uh, I get there. If you, want, if you want to just be like, wait, what? Over and over and over again. You can go look at this video and go look at some of these comments. Uh, there's some, sometimes I interact with the comments and I go in and, you know, like, you know, if people are being mean, I might, you know, talk to them about it. And, but that, that video, I just gave it to them. They could have it. <laughs> so, uh, Kylie McMinn, uh, commented on that short as a God fearing woman, any man I see arguing against male headship. It's not what I did <laughs> first, right off the bat. <laughs> um, one, it's a, it's a one minute clip of a one and a half hour conversation. So, you know, maybe check out the other stuff or at least some of it. Um, but I did not argue against male headship. I do believe that male headship is a thing. It's just not the thing that everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of people say that it is. Uh, because when a lot of people are talking about male headship, they do mean patriarchy. Like a lot of them, actually more and more of them are coming around on that. Uh, so I was not arguing against male headship, uh, but it gives off serious beta vibes, beta, beta vibes. What is, what is going on with people with this stuff with like alpha and beta? I've said this a couple times. If you want to just tick me off, start using some of that like Gen Z terminology. Like, I'm just not going to listen. I don't care. Maybe it's old man, get off my lawn kind of energy, but nope, I don't, uh, if you're going to, if you're going to say, oh, that's such like an alpha move or, oh, that's, that's a beta move. Like, I don't, I don't care. It's it, just it, the f it flames, flames, flames on the side of my face. 
It's just get out of here with that. That's not real terminology uh, because it makes me feel unsafe. Well, I'm sorry if you feel unsafe by watching a YouTube video. If you feel unsafe by watching a YouTube video, you shouldn't be watching a YouTube. <laughs> like just, just get off of YouTube. You feel unsafe. Uh, like you're going to expect me to be in charge instead of you. That's a no for me. Yeah, it's a no for me too. I don't want to be in charge of you. <laughs> like, I don't, like it's such a weird thing to go like, personal <laughs> like nope uh you know i'm uh happily married <laughs> like I'm, nope <laughs> just i don't know why you have to put it in me and you kind of conversation but just uh nope uh see ya um dishonor dishonor on your whole family make a note of this dishonor on you dishonor on your cow uh so yeah so sorry about that kylie but that that goes in the penalty box uh let's go to our last one here there's the whistle. There's no excuse there. He knows that whistle's been blown. Uh, so on the video about Johnny Hunt being restored to ministry by his buddies, again, it's his buddies. It's not like people who would actually hold someone accountable. It's his friends. Uh, some, some account uh, says, Baptist didn't call Johnny to preach. Jesus did. How do you know? <laughs> you... You have a conversation with Jesus about this? Um, because of Johnny's obedience, thousands have come to Christ. Um, did you know that uh, 98% of stats are made up on the spot? That's what I usually say to stuff like that. Thousands? Okay. Uh, no doubt when he's called home, he will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well, okay. Uh, he also might go to prison. <laughs> so there's, there's also that. Um, like there is some legal stuff. Uh, that that might happen because of some of the stuff that he's done. Go read the Guidepost Solutions report. Clint uh, Milk? Clint? I don't know, whatever. Uh, go read the Guidepost Solutions report, and you see what he did to uh, a pastor's wife, and uh, then say some of this stuff. Like, I, I get so frustrated with people who refuse to look up things, to actually read reports, to, um, you know, talk to people even, um, because they like the guy, that's their guy. Like, obviously this, this individual really likes Johnny Hunt. Um, one, I don't think he's nearly as good of a preacher as a lot of people say, uh, I've had to listen to quite a few in, in school even and break down some stuff. Um, but he, I don't think he's that good, but also like, he's just not qualified and qualifications matter like they do. If you're going to say that the Bible matters, then you have to say that the qualifications for an elder matter. And so it doesn't, doesn't let people off the hook because they're good at what they do. And this is why the robot actually gets it right. <laughs> like, uh, in talking about how some megachurch pastors get away with things, um, because there's no accountability. And part of that is the power dynamics because they're good at what they do, supposedly, um, because no one else could possibly fill in those shoes. We, it's church history, man. We've been doing this thing for 2,000 years. Somebody's going to come along that's going to be able to do as good or better of a job than Johnny Hunt. Like all these guys like who like allow people to be in ministry because, well, God's just used them so much. Well, why can't he use that other guy? He went to seminary. He has experience. He's just as good of a preacher. Why can't they use Bill compared to Dave? Who disqualified himself? Like, Bill could do a good job. Like, I, I just don't understand. There's so many, there are hundreds of pastors who could do the thing that Johnny Hunt does. Why does he have to do it? Why does he have to do it? Well, it's probably because he wants to vindicate himself. Even though, you know, and again, with him, it's a little bit more obvious than others. Because one, it's just so gross. Uh, two, it's also that he lied about it over and over and over again said that he didn't even know the pastor that this happened to. And then he's like, oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, I did go into that room. And then later on, oh, well, I did commit adultery, um, but it wasn't that. Well, you lied like four times already. Like, come on. Come on. Get out of here with that kind of stuff. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right. So let's hop into the chat just one last time before ending the show today. Uh, let's see, is, is Justin Peters taking Doug Wilson pills? I think 
yeah, he got some inspiration. Like he was out there with the G3 guys and I guess they have a flamethrower because, you know, that's normal just to have a flamethrower. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's trying to burn stuff down like Doug Wilson, but as he burnt down a boat, I don't know. I think Wilson still has it. Uh, Bob saying he likes the segment. Uh, it definitely leaves a wake of deviation. Most people don't want to die. They just want the misery to stop. Right. Talking about, you know, some serious stuff there. Um, (laughs) Breathing, heathing, heathing breaths. (laughs) I'm so sick of Christians protecting wolves and abusers. Same here. I'm just kind of done with it. Uh, A cool thing about the brethren is lots of men takes turns preaching. Yeah, I think that there's like a plurality of elders. It's almost like that's biblical. It's almost like that's biblical to have different leaders who rotate and preach and, and do ministry together. Like if you want to have one that's like the main lead pastor, I get that. Like, that's fine. But, like, have accountability within this structure. It's inherent within the idea of a plurality of elders to have accountability for one another. And then also to the congregation because I'm a Baptist. Um, But, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, So, that's the show today, guys. That's the show. I hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, I got some more stuff going on later on this week. Uh, don't forget, well, I got things figured out now there. I will just say the tech difficulties from Friday with underdogs unite. It was literally just quit Ecamm, turn it back on everything fixed. So frustrating. Hopefully that won't happen on Friday again, but, uh, also a couple things. One, like this video. If you actually liked it, maybe you've been watching and you're like, Oh, I do like this. Uh, but you haven't hit that button. Please hit that button so that it can go out to more people. Uh, if you are new to the channel and you like this, subscribe to the channel. Like a lot of people just kind of watch and get recommended through YouTube. And that's cool. I'm glad that you watch, but also subscribe, subscribe. It means a lot to me. Uh, and then also if you want to maybe go, uh, look on Apple podcasts or Spotify and whatever way you can rate the podcast. I have a podcast version of the show, uh, that I put out on a regular basis now, <laughs> uh, kind of figure some things out. Um, but, uh, there's, there's a bunch of you that actually listen to just the audio. So if you're listening, just the audio, hi, uh, thanks for listening. Also go to your podcast player, uh, and rate the show, give a review, say that you like it. Uh, but you know, do it honestly. And you know, maybe, maybe that part of the show can grow as well. Anyways, I got other stuff coming out throughout the rest of this week. So be tuned in for the channel and I will see you in the next one. Have a good Monday.